Show. I am your host, Nathan Bro. What's up, guy? So recently we've been going through this series, the third series, my third broken promise on this podcast, and today we're going to wrap it up. The series really hasn't had a name, but it's been about heaven, earth, and about our relationship to heaven and earth and what their relationship together looks like. And it's really been just focused and built off of a, off of the gospel. A lot of times when you go to church, you hear a dead gospel, like a gospel that focuses on being dead. Really, the only reason you should live a good life is because you want a lot of good riches when you die and go to heaven. Like you get a gospel that's kind of focused on you being not anymore living and that's depressing dude that's depressing especially one of the biggest reasons that's depressing is because that's not really something the bible talks about a lot read the bible cover to cover and one major theme you get is that you don't live life for the dead you live life for the living like once you die you're kind of out of the picture king david died he was kind of out of the picture and the only thing that king david's role continued to play on past his death was what it meant for his descendants to be descendants of king david There wasn't normally this idea of you're living life to die, but instead you are living life to glorify God while you are alive. The gospel is not a gospel of death. It's a gospel of life and life new and abundant today, not later, but today. When you look at the gospel as a gospel for the dead, in other words, you live a good Christian life because you want a lot of riches in heaven. You turn God into kind of this tool and you turn the gospel into something about just wait, just wait, you'll get it. You'll get what you de- you'll get what you deserve for your good actions. And that's true. God does reward those who do good. That is a very very huge part and theme of the Bible, but it's not the goal of the Bible. And this past few series helps to explain why. I've tried to make sure that this series is breeded out of an understanding of the Bible first. The Bible is solely first tells us what heaven is and what earth is, but it's also mixed up with a lot of philosophy and ancient thought and antiquity because God is a God of logic and the logic of this earth is sourced from him though twisted by man and by sin. So getting past all this the point is we can't live our lives to die. We can't live our lives hoping to just get rich in the next life. We are instead looking at a gospel where the goal is to live today for the glory and purpose of God and him alone so that today we achieve the purpose of Christ. So it's, why should I live a good Christian life? Why should I get baptized? Why should I join the church? Why should I give in charity? Because you know that something is right. And you know that something is wrong. The source of where we receive that is dictated from a specific location, which is the creator and sustainer of the world. And because of this, there's a way that you should live and you should not live. And to not live in that way is to be broken and to be shattered. And that you will continue to break down and shatter and break down and shatter. And the point of the gospel is that God did not want to continue to see the world shatter and break in disarray, but instead decided that the earth should be brought back to its original purpose to bring God glory alone. So because of this, he came down on earth to set things right and have zero tolerance for brokenness. And in his death, he sought to rectify that which was wrong bring the earth back to himself and bring the world back to his glory. 
And naturally, this breeds questions. What is heaven? What is earth? And what happens when you mix the two together? And that's exactly what this podcast is going to be about. So today we're going to end out, uh, we're going to end this podcast series, and we are going to finally move on to other projects I've been wanting to do for quite some time now. But today we're going to focus on heaven, we're going to focus on earth, and we're going to focus on what happens when you bring the two together. There's a lot of good stuff that happens, but first off, let's do a real quick recap of what we've done thus far. We started off this series talking about heaven is home. And that was a weird one. Honestly, that one probably wasn't quite what I wanted it to be, but it was still, it still brought up some good points that heaven as our home is part of who we are. And since heaven is part of who we are, that is where morality comes from. That is where this greater beyond comes from. It is a very intricate and crucial part of our existence. And if you want to learn more about it, please go back, listen to that podcast. The the heaven is home podcast was really short compared really short compared to the earth is home podcast that was one podcast that broke up into three different ones that was a hot mess guys but (laughs) heaven is home because of morals of this greater beyond of this greater good that there is something that is beyond the corporeal that is is incorporeal and helps us to decide things that are beyond the physical realm physical world and one of the most basic and easiest to see of those is what's right and wrong. And then comes Earth is Home. And that kid was a doozy. That took like three whole entire episodes to cover. That Earth is our home. This is, of course, a place of activity, activism, and the corporeal. This is a place of the sticky, messy, tacky, nasty humanness that is absolutely beautiful. It's a hard one for, like, this is a hard... Honestly, I think the Heaven is Home is easier for modern man to understand because we've spent so long trying to separate ourselves from the earth we've spent so long trying to make ourselves this thing that isn't sticky that is clean that is cut that is ideal what is the idealistic man what is the idealistic living conditions why is there a cockroach in my house why is everything always covered in dirt why can't i sleep on a nice fluffy bed that is just so firm in all the right places we continue to separate ourselves from the fact that most things that live live in the dirty and nasty stuff the two things humans make hate mixed together water and dirt is the very right mix to give all of life and everything that you see that's alive and vibrant and beautiful comes from the very stuff that modern humans like to try and shun out of our view we're sticky we're tacky we're dirty but once humans start acting sticky and tacky and dirty we start to to hate it it's a burden on us family drama don't talk about politics don't talk about religion don't talk about money why because these things are sticky tacky and dirty it would require us to get our sleeves rolled up and get into areas that are not comfortable we like things to be sterile and that's not what calling Earth as home is. It's, it, it's, it's corporeal. It's nasty. It's what makes humans human. But at the same time, we're heaven. So we, we, we can't deny the part of us that wants to see things elevated and to see things, dare I say, evolved. We continue to push future for, farther and farther into a future. That future is a heavenly mindset. That future the greater is a mindset of something that is beyond us, that is in the great beyond. And that's where morals come from. Meanwhile, on earth is what about today? What about right now? What about the needs that I have? 
And the Bible often balances these same terms in ones that probably have sound pretty catchy by now. Like you've already probably pieced it together. You've got this idea of the soul and the body combating each other. And what does this combat look like? Well, Paul describes it in Philippians as I do what I do not want to do. And what I do not want to do, I do. But this tension really kind of shows itself in that heaven is moral. Earth is corporeal. So because of this, in the philosophers, the Stoic philosophers kind of got a, a similar idea. They looked up to the sky and they said, look, up in the sky, there are the, these stars and the sun. They follow things perfectly, mathematically. They're incorporeal beyond our reach and they do everything consistently. Here on earth, everything's messy. No one does anything consistently and everything seems to be tainted. So they had this idea of the greater beyond and that's where things like astrology comes from. It's the same with this idea of my soul and my body fighting each other. It's a consistent theme in the logic of the earth, though taken two totally different ways. Because rather than looking at the stars and saying we need to influence the heavens with the stars, the stars came down to the earth. This fear that we would taint the stars would have stopped any stoke from going that far. But heaven came down. Logos, the word, came down. And it sat amongst us. And having zero tolerance for brokenness set all things right. So, why does this matter? It matters because identity influences action. For example, I breathe oxygen. I don't know about you. You might, I don't know, maybe. Uh, but I breathe oxygen. I breathe in air. Not pure air, mind you. I have to have a little bit of a mix. If I have too much oxygen, I start getting a little woozy, a little crazy, all right? And if I, drink, if, I, if I breathe pure oxygen, I'm dead, all right? I'm very particular. You do what you want, but I am very particular about the type of air I breathe. If you give me water, I'm like, nah, man, I'm gonna drink that. I ain't gonna, I ain't gonna just inhale that mess, man. Listen, I got boundaries, all right? You may be crazy. You may do some crazy stuff like that, but me, I'm gonna stick here over here with some air. I ain't gonna drink in that. I ain't gonna, I ain't gonna breathe in that water. Do I look like I got gills? The point is that because I know I breathe air, because I'm not a fish, I'm a human, that I breathe air, not water. Likewise, because I'm, I know that my dog is a dog and not a wolf, I do not feed him a strictly meat diet. He does need a little bit of grain. He needs a little bit more nutrients than just meat. I heard this one comment, however, about dogs versus wolves. If you feed a wolf dog food, the wolf will starve because it needs a purely meat diet. It has a very specific nutritional diet it needs that dog food would not support it with. However, if you fed a dog what a wolf eats, your dog would again starve because it's, it's lacking certain nutrients that is in dog food that is not in wolf food. So you have to have that balance in order to continue to sustain that animal even though they look very similar they are very different in their needs and the way you figure out what their needs are is by identifying who they are that's why it matters so that heaven is home so no, that earth is home it helps you uh, it helps influence your actions by your identity and that's one thing i love about the bible genesis comes out and it doesn't just provide the identity of the Israelites, the Bible comes out and starts giving the identity of all creation. And Genesis is really powerful in giving you that source of identity to help influence your action and help influence where do you go. It's why it answers a lot of the questions that it does. It doesn't give you a textbook definition of how the earth started, even though I do believe 
that there was a little creation short, a newer, new earth creationist mindset. I do believe that. I do also believe that a lot of the things that are put in the Bible are to tell you exactly who you are to help influence the actions that you take daily. But by knowing who I am, I am able to, able to give myself the right things because I know in reality who I am. And that's why we're going through this series. By knowing that you're a bit of heaven and a bit of earth mixed together, knowing that your flesh is made out of clay, but your breath came straight from God, helps you to identify that you stand somewhere in the middle, and it helps identify your action. Also, it helps you identify where right and wrong should be. If you are a monkey that has evolved over thousands of years and you have no earth in you, then where does your right and wrong come from? You need to be able to answer that in order to continue to use it. Otherwise, I could do some crazy things, like give you whatever pronoun I think you should have and you can't tell me that I'm wrong because you don't have a system in which to pin it on because you haven't answered the question, where do I come from? If you're going to tell me that it is wrong for me to call you a she rather than a them or a he rather than a they, then you need to be able to give me a basis at which point the word wrong even means something to change my actions other than, other than I'm just going to beat the mess out of you until you decide to do what I say, there needs to be that source, that necessary source. And this isn't me just trying to be a brute, mean Christian. It's a basic necessary step in order to convey this meaning and purpose. And the story of humans being both heaven and earth helps us identify the right and the wrong and helps us realize that heaven is where morality comes from. But just because something comes from earth doesn't mean it's wrong because it's home. That's something that Christians fall into a lot of times. If it's from earth, it's wrong because it's been tainted by sin and it needs to be burned away. That's not true at all. Earth was designed and created with a particular purpose in mind to bring God glory. So an earth in line with that purpose is a right earth. Just because it comes from earth doesn't mean that it's wrong. In fact, if it's from earth and using its original purpose, it's very much right. Let's suppose that I bought a phone, an iPhone for work. And so that's it. I want to buy one specifically for my job. I have an iPhone, but I, you know, I'm just going to get another one for work. And I buy this phone. I use it for work. But then one day I get a little crazy and I decide to download a news app on there or social media app. Let's say I download Twitter on my work phone and I go, I'm not using this phone for its original purpose. Look, it has Twitter on there. I'm still getting text messages from my boss. I'm still getting phone calls from my boss. I'm still getting phone calls from my coworkers, text messages from coworkers, clients, all these things. But there's Twitter on there, and that's not what it's meant for. That's wrong. That's it. I'm throwing this phone away. And I just throw that phone away. I still don't text, call, boss, client, coworkers from my phone. I don't. I just say, you know what, since my work phone is wrong, I'm just going to throw it away, and I'm not going to use this other phone for that purpose. Or better yet, Suppose I do just start texting calling from my personal phone rather than my work phone. And that is some that starts to actually get in trouble with, you know, taxes, laws and so forth. My company paid for the phone so that they can use it. And by me getting rid of that phone and only using my phone and they're not paying for it, that's dishonest. And diverting solely to them using my phone is creating the situation that is not healthy for me or my work environment. That's what we are doing when we simply throw away the things of earth as if it cannot bring glory to God. We have to have that, that, that very delicate and purposeful balance. In the same way, 
we cannot look at this earth and say, oh, well, there's some sin in it. So I guess we got to throw everything else about it away and take all of the, the glorify and honoring God and t- stick that solely on heaven. We can't do that. There is that balance. And there are good things in this earth that are being made perfect through Christ that can still bring him glory. So don't simply, as the saying goes, throw the baby out with the bathwater. Instead, right and wrong are built not upon thinking that earth is bad and heaven is good, but by knowing how we are part of both, what that balance is, and how we bring God glory today, knowing that we come from earth and earth is home. That was the intro, now that we're like halfway into the podcast. This is why we should know that earth is home and heaven is home. But in this podcast, I really want to answer the question, what happens when you take the two and mix them together? Again, we cannot sterilize the two. We can't cut them apart. The Bible says that God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. They happen together, and they've always been together. It's only modern man that has decided that we need to separate the two. And that is honestly only thanks to Stoic thinking, which has influenced the Christian thought too far. Today we separate it. The two were actually meant to be together and to be part of the same system together. So what happens when we mix heaven and earth together? What happens when we mix the two? First off, we start seeing what it means to be human. We are made of earth, but filled with heaven. In other words, because of this relationship where we are part of both, we become the older brother to creation. So you've heard the commandment, do not take the Lord's name in vain. I like to propose that that passage has actually been taken a little bit out of context. Granted, it is important not to use the Lord's name in vain. In other words, to call upon him vainly, or in other words, like to say his name without reverence. However, there's an alternate side to this commandment that we really got to pay attention to. And this alternate side is that you bear God's name as a priest bore a God's name on their head. If you go back to the priests, the priests dressed a particular way, very specific. Every detail of their clothes was oriented by God to show the world when you come to this temple, you are going before something different. So because of this, we have this unique and like, weird clothing situation like these people wearing breastplates but not for like you know war they're wearing a breastplate because there's like 12 stones on there each one's like kind of israel because the priests represent all of israel and they have like a hat situation going on they could only wear like you know specific type of clothes like it was really it was really not something that you're actually really used to hearing except for when you think about like priests going out of their way for religious purpose. However, one of the things that they did do was they wore a crown. They wore, first off, they wore a hat, but a, around this hat, they actually wore a crown or well, uh, a metal ring around it. And on this metal ring was a phrase, holy unto God. In other words, they bore God's name on their forehead. This is the same imagery we're really going to get when we start looking at to not bear God's name in vain. In other words, not to represent him falsely to the rest of the world. You are playing a very specific role, and you are not supposed to break the role, but instead supposed to show the rest of the world what it means to be holy unto God. Now, something that's very, that's very important to keep in mind is that these laws are going to Old Testament Jews and have a specific purpose behind it, which is missional work. The Jews are trying to bring the rest of the nations to God through this portal that, to heaven that we call the temple, not an actual portal, But as you go through this temple, you are being led through the gospel and you are being led through to heaven to be able to go stand before God. And this is something that Hebrews helps walk a reader through 
very clearly and the role that really Israel was supposed to play. So when you start looking at the, the Ten Commandments, even though we as Christians should definitely be following them, we should also remember that these are missional commandments. These are not just commandments on how to live a good life. They are also commandments on how to represent God to the rest of the world. And they have a missional purpose behind it. So when we talk about bearing God's name in vain, we must remember that we are bearing his name before the rest of creation. We are literally, his name is on our forehead. So as we walk through creation, people will know we represent him and his image is what shines through us. So we selflessly have to put our pride aside and we have to realize every good action we give is a testament to God, not to our kindness. And because of this, we should also remember that we this is our original role. This isn't something new. This isn't a backup plan because of sin. This is something that was always supposed to happen. We were from the very beginning supposed to be the older brothers of creation to the rest of the animals of this planet. We were supposed to be what represented God to earth because God said, let us make man in our own image. This idea of don't bear my name in vain goes all the way back to our very creation. We were the older brother of creation. We were breathed with heaven, though we were built of the earth, so that we bring heaven to earth, not just the people, but to all of it. The whales that are currently beaching themselves on our beaches because their stomachs are full of plastic. The penguins that have to constantly be scrubbed down with Dawn dish soap because we can't seem to transport oil safely. To the birds that are going extinct because fertilizers keep making its way into the ocean and keep creating infertile eggs. All of these things we're supposed to be taking care of and we don't care. We're not being older siblings to creation and we're not bringing heaven to earth. We're doing the quite opposite. We're trying to push heaven further and further away. And then we look at the animals of this earth and go, don't worry, maybe God will, uh, maybe God will take you all to heaven because like, you know, all dogs go to heaven and I like you. So that means God will, of course, take you to heaven because I just can't think of a heaven where my dog won't go there. And heaven really is about me having fun. So because I like you and because God loves me, that means you have to make it to heaven. What about the parts? of the Bible that say your job was supposed to show that dog God. What about the parts of the Bible that talk about how earth will be recreated and heaven isn't this big ark that will pop up to take all of humanity away as the rest of the earth burns, but instead that the earth will be recreated and we will again be responsible to show earth heaven because we are earth's older brother. This is what happens when it means to be human because the two are mixed together. One of the ways that we can show we can show earth heaven is actually through science. Because if you look at it, science is really a faith and knowledge. Those are two words that aren't normally kept together. In fact, they humans today try and keep them explicitly apart. But if you look at it, Faith, which is of, is of heaven, and knowledge, which is of earth. Knowledge is the process of knowing the earth around you, and faith that you can know it, and that faith comes from heaven or from God. If we trace our, our way way back, I mean way back, one of the first scientists who exists were priests. Priests were able to study and know the world around them, 
because they believed there was one God. And because they believed there was one God, they believed that knowledge was consistent enough to be studied. In other words, because there was only one God and not multiple, because no God wasn't an option yet, because there was one source of knowledge, not no source, and not many sources, but one source of knowledge, when you had that one source, of, when you had one knowledge of one thing, it would continue to be consistent. There wouldn't be a time where another God would decide to flip script on you just to mess you up. But instead, consistently, knowledge would be truth. Because understanding in the world around you came from that one source. So you have faith, which is from heaven or from that God, of being able to know, which is the practice of understanding here on earth. So you have the two mixed together, heaven and earth in science. Science only exists when you mix heaven and earth together. If you cut the two and separate them, you lose fundamental parts of what science even is. In fact, there isn't even a need for science. Calling or purpose is something that comes from heaven. Remember, that is the greater beyond. Something calling as a fundamental existence, its very fundamental existence comes from heaven. Why is it important that humans continue on? It's not, honestly, unless there's something outside of creation that calls us to it. Why is it important that we understand? Why is it important that we continue living? At this point, honestly, after my last comments about the whales and the penguins, I think it's probably better without a greater being to call us to greater because of it isn't the greater beyond. I think it'd probably be better if humans went extinct at this point because we're kind of sinking everything down with us. But because there's this calling, there is this greater purpose that is calling us to understand. This is again, heaven and earth, just like faith and knowledge, calling and understanding, calling heaven, understanding earth, a calling to understand, which creates this need for science as well as a possibility for it. In other words, because of faith and knowing, science can exist. Because of calling and understanding, it should. Kind of like that question of can you versus should you. Finally, what happens when you mix heaven and earth. First, you find out what it means to be human because you're made from earth, but filled with heaven. You are creation's older brother. Next, you find out why you should do science because it is faith in the knowing. It is heaven in the earth. Lastly, for this example alone, and I really only wanted to go through three examples, though you could probably find countless ones. Like when you put these two together, you get a complete reevaluation of earth. And I would love to hear what other things you think happen when you mix heaven is home with earth is home. I would love to hear what y'all have to say because honestly, science to be human and law are really th things I capitalize on thinking about. Like I think about those all the time, but there are other things I don't think about, but you can put the two together. Farming, I'm sure has somewhere where heaven as home and earth as home has a very important role. I don't really think about it. There's lots of other fields this could go into. But the final one we're gonna go through for this podcast is law. Now, like I said, morality really built off this idea of heaven and earth. So where right and wrong are built off of is, of course, going to come from what happens when you mix heaven and earth. Let's go back to Genesis again. We've been spending a lot of time in Genesis, but honestly, Genesis is a really good source of figuring out what heaven is, what earth is. When you take Genesis and Revelations and kind of smack those puppies together and rub it around a little bit, you can sprinkle some Daniel on top if you wanted some spice. You know what I mean? you get a good idea on what the Bible really calls heaven and what the Bible really calls earth. You start looking at the law. You get this idea of what is right and what is wrong. And this idea of right and wrong in the Bible 
comes very early on. There is one phrase in particular that really kicks in this idea of right and wrong. There are special phrases in Genesis that tells you where the sources of these things come from, of certain things come from. The first thing created was light and darkness. And that was evening and morning the first day. And Westerners like to see and go with, oh, there wasn't a sun or a moon, then there was no dusk or dawn because there was no physical entities for there to be. That's Western thought. That only comes about because people have defined it that way in Western society. You are looking at Jews and telling them they must think like Westerners if you will read their scriptures and believe it. You are looking at the Holy Spirit and telling it that he must think like an American if he wants to convince you that you are to follow him. Don't do that. That's incredibly dangerous. In Jewish tradition, a day was run, no, dusk to dusk. The day started at the night. When the sun set, you were in a new day. Thus, if you were fasting, you fasted from the time you went to sleep to the time the sun set the next day. That was what decided a day. Because of this, there wasn't necessary. You didn't need celestial be like celestial beings in order to create a morning and an evening. To be honest, that's not a thought that would have happened until like Galileo. And even Galileo, by the time, was like a latecomer to the game. This idea of needing a sun was not necessary for there to be a morning and an evening. Instead, it was the dusk and the dawn, the light and the darkness, and its continual rotation. And because God created that, He created time. So as people come up and they ask. Well, who created God? There was no before God. So there could not be a creation before God because God created time. And don't think about what it would be like for that to happen. It's not understandable to beings who can't be outside of time. That's like me trying to tell you about a color I discovered that's not on the color spectrum. I can't describe it to you because I'm not someone who could understand that. I didn't invent the color spectrum, so I can't see beyond it. Likewise, God created time, so he's outside of time. He's probably the only being in and outside of creation that could describe what it's like to live without time. For the rest of us, time's necessary. So likewise, there are little phrases in Genesis that describe not just how time started, but also how morality started. He created morning and evening the first day, and he discovered it was good. And then he created man, and he looked at it all as creation, and he said it is very good. These are statements of quality that lead to morality, because morality is not built, and Genesis continues on to the fall of man and the, the fall of creation and so forth, and morality is not something that is, according to Nathan, the morality is something that is extended strictly from the way the earth should be according to the way it was originally created. Morality is less decided upon a list of things that should and should not happen, like you're signing up to play a sport and you're supposed to do this versus not do that. Instead, it is like an engine that is supposed to run a specific way by following these certain standards, and it has a better way to run and a worse way to run and a definition of broken and running perfectly. That is morality. And that's a morality that I believe Genesis sets up. That is where the law comes from. You need heaven and earth in order to make this work. You must have a spectrum of right and wrong. Now, there are certain standards of the word law I would like to go through real quick. First off, you got law by Francis Schaeffer. Francis Schaeffer, gotta love him. Francis Schaeffer defines law 
as an understanding of morality built upon God. One of the only phrases I will use to describe really Francis Schaeffer's idea is when he was talking about democracy. And he was doing this in, I want to say it was his book, The Christian Manifesto, I believe. And he was talking about democracy. And, uh, or no, I think it was actually How Then Shall We Live? And he was making a statement that in a democracy, truth is outside of man. It is thus the law is what is right and what is wrong is outside of man. It is built solely upon God. So because of this, and because truth can, this, this, this law is outside of man, it can be known by most men, but because it stands outside of most men, it can still also be known by the minority. This is why elections work. Because truth is understandable and understandable by all men, a majority can speak on the topic of truth, and thus an election can happen to help the majority decide what they will follow and whether it is true or not. But it will be a pursuit of truth in that, and thus pursuit of the right, and that they are pursuing what they know is right because they can know right because it is outside of them. They don't decide it. Meanwhile, a person in the minority can still know what is right and what is wrong, even though the rest of the elect, an election, speaks against him. So it can be the hands of either. Meanwhile, if you don't have this system, right and wrong is decided by the person with the most votes who then bullies the rest out of their say. So wrong is, by definition, what the majority don't like. That is according to Francis Schaeffer. Why that is significant today is because we have wa really walked away from this definition of right and wrong and walked instead into a populist decision of right and wrong. What's the worst part about populist decision is that in a, uh, a populist decision of right and wrong, it has to be that every person speaks at the same volume to decide and vote yay or nay if something is right or wrong. That is not, however, the way it works. There are people who are taller. There are people who are louder. So we will never truly know what the mass population votes on and decides right or wrong, since there will always be people with a louder speak and say in a higher and more elevated position. So, is it right or is it wrong, according to popular vote, to speed? Should that be punishable by law, according to popular vote? Majority of the people would say no. But if the louder and more prominent as in the people with higher positions, say yes, that it's fine to speed, then the, the majority will be outspoken. Francis Schaeffer says that truth is despite man, so that the majority may know, but the minority can still understand. So, now let's look at the law according to the Book of Romans. Book of Romans gets a lot of people very much in trouble because it comes out the gate swinging. <laughs> And lots of people don't like Romans, especially the beginning, because you get a lot of homophobic-esque statements. I will, for, I will spend this moment to give a disclaimer. Paul was not homophobic, because that wasn't an option back then. Back then, homosexual actions was more a statement of dominance. Or entertainment, it was not an identity. He could not have been homophobic, because there were no people there who were homosexual. Straight men held other men down and raped them to show dominance. Or paid other men to go have some fun. Women did the same. It was not their identity. It was not what they chose to be. Simply an action back then. 
And Paul spoke of that and said that that is not the way creation was meant to be run. He was not speaking about identity. He was not trying to show hatred towards people who had identified as something different. This is not an old debate. This is a new debate that has changed with modern discoveries, if you will. As a, uh, although I wouldn't call them discoveries, I would simply call them jargon, but we're not going to talk about that right now. The beginning of Romans makes a statement that says that man proceeded to, man and women proceeded to do more or less abominable things with men or women. The issue with this phrase is that we've taken this and simply mean, uh, turned it into a hate phrase. With this phrase, this phrase, however, has a very intentional purpose behind it. The phraseology that is used is instead to describe that the actions that they took were contrary to the created order. When you have sex with someone of the opposite gender, you can't have a baby. When you have sex with someone of the same gender, baby probably no happen. And I realize that today that's probably very insensitive to say because there are people who identify as men with anatomically female parts and vice versa. So men, quote unquote, can get pregnant. Men can get pregnant because they identify as a man, even though they have the hardware to do the baby giving. I don't know how to say this without getting in trouble, but there are specific details to get through right now about anatomy and physiology that Romans is addressing that the anatomical male with anatomical male no make baby. Anatomical female with anatomical male make baby. Thus, created order dictate one direction, male and female anatomically. And because he's using this phraseology to show that what is deemed as sin is contrary to the created order of the earth, he then builds off of that many thoughts in Romans. These thoughts tend to be circlical in order to get certain details across. Probably one of my favorite situations in Romans is when Paul actually says it's the law's fault that I'm a sinner in a certain context and a certain way, in that sin uses my understanding that certain things are right and wrong in order to cause me to want wrong more. What does this mean? Well, have you ever, you've been like, hey, don't do this. And the person went, well, I wasn't going to, but now that you said not to do it, I kind of want to. That's the situation Paul's describing right now. Like a toddler who goes, I didn't even think about the candy bar that you were talking about on top shelf that I'm not supposed to eat until you pointed it out. And now I kind of want it. I think I'm going to get it. So the fact I told you not to eat the candy bar is the reason you're going to eat it? Yeah. The sinful nature is what says, I want it because you told me not to have it. The law was the awareness that it's there. So the law is the reason that the kid knows he's not supposed to have the candy bar. The sin is wanting it because you told him. And that's the situation given in Romans. The point is that the law shows us a certain way in which the earth was made to function. Sin comes in and can use that to show us a way in which we use things against their original purpose. The conversation of right and wrong is built on this is the way the world's supposed to work versus this is not the way the world's supposed to work. And I kind of like it that way. And that's wrong. Now, what is the law according to Christ? The law according to Christ. I have recently been reading the Sermon on the Mountain where you get the Beatitudes. In other words, blessed is the meek or the poor in spirit. Um, blessed are those who are persecuted and so forth. And Jesus goes down this really long lecture in pretty much in Matthew 5 forward. He spends chapters and chapters 
talking about the law. But what's interesting about this is he reevaluates the way that we do it. For example, you've heard it said that in order to uh, divorce a woman, you must give her a written notice of intention for divorce and why. But this is what I tell you. Do not divorce your wife. And if you separate for a while, come back. For if you cause that woman to get remarried and have sex with another man, you have forced her to commit adultery. In other words, in other words, reevaluate what it means to break this law in your heart. You have heard it said, do not commit murder. But I tell you this, if you hate a man, you have already committed murder in your heart. The law until this point was an action. There was a book called the Talmud at that time. It was basically a law book. I've read part of it. It's exactly what I would think of when I think about a law book. Like it is cut and dry. And up until this point, the law had been an action. When Christ steps in, he says, the law's not an action. It's a state of being my creation is in. And currently, it is way out of place. If you look at the reasons that Israel was accused of breaking the law, one of the bigger accusations that the minor prophets give is that when I see your hands, I see the blood of the innocent on them. The bigger accusations that God had against his nation that was supposed to represent him to the rest of the nations was that you took advantage of my generosity and rather than being missionaries to the rest of the world, you ate off the poor. You feasted off the lonely. The law then became a list of actions because we never want to break the law again. We never want to get back to that point. And by turning the law into a list of actions rather than the missional state they were supposed to be in, they fell right back into the original problem that they were in. And Christ came and said, stop looking at the law like it's a list of actions. Start looking at what it's supposed to be, a reorientation of all of creation back to God. It's supposed to be taking heaven, taking earth, and putting them back together the way they were supposed to be. And humans, once again, being missional representations of God to the rest of the world. And that's exactly what the gospel was. It completely rearranged the way that the early church saw themselves. All of a sudden, they were getting rid of wealth, getting rid of money, because they realized that that's not the way their earth was supposed to run. They were getting rid of absolutely everything, and they were completely living their lives contrary to the way that they were told that they were supposed to live, so much so that the accusations against them got pretty wild, pretty crazy. They're accused of having, you know, having orgies because they had, you know, brotherly kisses and everything. They were accused of incest because wives would call their husband's brother and brothers uh, husbands would call their wives sister because they were brothers and sisters in Christ they were accused of human sacrifice because they were eating and drinking flesh there were all of these things at which the romans who killed people for fun in big stadiums notoriously fantastic murderers we're looking at these guys and going what on earth is going on here because they were living so contrary to the way that the world set its standards They gave away everything to gain a completely new type of earth. One that was coming back to God. And that's kind of where I want to leave off this podcast and leave off this series. Is live in a world where heaven and earth are married together. And if you haven't had a chance to 
receive Christ as your Savior, which is the process of being made right and being part of this change in which all of creation will be brought back to Christ, I heavily encourage you to do. Of course, I would encourage you to go to church, talk with a pastor, get connected, because this is a process at which you are being reconnected with the rest of creation. So if you try and do this alone, you're already starting off on the bad foot because you're already rebelling against the very process you're saying you want to be part of. But at the same time, please get connected, but also if you are willing, accept the Lord as your Savior because you're not meant to live for death. You're meant to live for Christ. And you're not meant to live for death. You're meant to live for God here on this earth. You accept Christ as your Lord and Savior in your heart. You do that in an instant. It's immediate. But it is done through actions because even though this is a spiritual process, heaven, it is an earthly process, earth. So it takes action. First, you pray. And in this prayer, it really doesn't matter how you phrase it. You say, Father, I know you sent your son down on earth. And you confessed to know Christ, know his story. And then you say that you are willing to accept him as your Lord and Savior. The format, there's been thousands of formats. There's thousands of different words. But only the Stoics use magic phrases to try and save themselves. Here, we are being made new. So confess that you are willing to submit your body and your soul to be made new in Christ. To be made as a new creation that you may bring him honor and him glory in all things that you may bear his name from here on out for his glory and for his purpose. And then go get connected with the church. You want to be baptized. The process of baptism is very special in the church because it shows that you are being sealed in a process that is outside of you and outside of each other. And it is a process where the church is continually being rebathed in God. So it is a church-wide thing. Like when I say church-wide, I mean beyond space and time. Whole church, when you get baptized, you are together with all of the church singing praise to God. You are confessing to have been buried when you go under the water with Christ and resurrected again, but you're also saying that you have been cleansed of your sin by taking, you know, essentially a bath. And you are then made clean of the old sticky ways of living, at which point you were broken and you were being made clean, you were being made new. Like you would wash a fresh wound, like you would wash a fresh wound to prevent infection. You are washing the ways of this world off of you that you may heal in a new and better way. And then you would want to find somebody to teach you what it means to follow Christ. Because you are being made new, you really need to follow the model of what it means to be new. And accepting the gospel, accepting the gospel inherently tells you that there is a wrong and a right way to live. Because there was an earth that was created with a particular purpose had fallen away from him and fallen into the wrong way, and you are promising to follow the right way. Find somebody who can help teach you to live the right way. I thank you so much for listening to this podcast and for listening to this past series. Be sure to subscribe and follow along the next podcast. It's going to be real fun. We're talking about sex and culture. It'll be a great time. Probably sex and love, to be honest, actually. We're going to talk about sex and love, and we're going to talk about all the, all all that craziness. I'll probably bring Elijah, Elijah back on because he really wanted to be part of it. We'll see what happens. Thank y'all guys so much for listening. I'm looking forward to seeing y'all in the next one.